Have you ever asked the question, you know, God, if I were in your shoes, I would have done that differently. Uh, maybe that question is a little too brazen. Maybe you wouldn't be so bold to say it that way. But I know that you have asked it this way. Why, God? Why? Why at this time, to this person, why would you let this happen? Why would you let this go on? Why would you do this? Right, those questions come because we know that our God works in unexpected, surprising, unlikely ways, doesn't he? Probably not the way that we would choose. And even if you know and trust that God is good and God is loving and God is almighty, still things happen in your life and you are left scratching your head wondering, hmm, why, God? God works in unlikely ways, doesn't he? In this sermon series that we are wrapping up today for Epiphany, remember Epiphany means to, to, to reveal or to be made known. And, and in the season of Epiphany, we see that Savior, whose birth we celebrated about a month ago, is being revealed as the Savior of all people. And we're taking a look at these prophecies that were written, spoken 700 years before Jesus was born through the prophet Isaiah. Promises that God made and promises that God then kept in Christ. And today, we look at Isaiah chapter 9, our first lesson that we read this morning, and we need a little background, a little context to know what's going on. Who is God talking to? Why are these things being said? So two places are mentioned, right? Zebulun and Naphtali. So, so what, who are they? What are those areas? Well, remember, Jacob had 12 sons. These are two sons of Jacob. These are names. Zebulun and Naphtali. And, and when they entered into the promised land, by that point, hundreds and hundreds of years later, they had become 12 tribes, not just 12 sons, but, but 12 tribes of millions of people. And so Zebulun and Naphtali were now tribes when they entered into the promised land. And each tribe was given a portion of that land. And the portion that Zebulun and Naphtali received was more to the north. So, so Jerusalem is more to the south. Right? The Sea of Galilee is to the north, and that's where the area of Zebulun and Naphtali were. Zebulun just a little bit to the west of the Sea of Galilee, Naphtali a little to the west and north. And this was an area that was the border, up, up near the top of Israel, that, that when enemies would attack Israel, and there were many <laughs> throughout the centuries, this, they were on the front lines. They're the ones who got the brunt force of those attacks. They are the ones who got the full force of death and destruction from the enemies of Israel. And there was no greater time of that than when the Assyrian Empire came to attack Israel under King Tiglath-Pileser. And that was about the time of Isaiah. And it's very possible that Isaiah is writing this specifically to the people of these tribes after this has happened. 
And what Assyria would do is come in and completely wipe out their enemy. And what they would do with the people is deport them. They would send them off to other areas of the Assyrian Empire, and they would bring in foreigners to repopulate that area, to, to weaken that nation, to take it over. And the people coming in, you can guess, didn't worship the true God. They were heathens. They brought with them false gods and the worship of false gods. And so you can understand why this area, these areas of Zebulun and Naphtali were ones of gloom and despair and hopelessness and brokenness and wondering if God loved them and forgot about them. Things were dark in this area. And the reason was they were humbled because of their sin. The reason these enemies came is because they would not repent. And God had warned them through prophets like Isaiah, if you do not repent, you are going to be destroyed. This is what's going to happen. And so they brought this on themselves. And so you can imagine the hopelessness and the despair and the gloom of the people who lived in this area. And that's the context into which Isaiah writes and speaks here. So with that in mind, listen again to our first lesson from Isaiah chapter 9. Again, it was the first lesson that we read. It says, Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the future, he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. And those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the days of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Isaiah speaks of a time coming in the future where what they know now will be no more. No more gloom, no more despair, no more brokenness, no more loneliness, no more pain, no more sadness, but instead joy and peace and hope and light in their darkness. And so what was that time? that Isaiah was prophesying about. What, what is he speaking of? What would be this light? Well, of course. We heard it in our gospel lesson, didn't we? Did you catch it? Did you hear it there? I'm going to read it for you again, just to make sure you got it. Uh, Matthew chapter 4, that we read as our gospel lesson, this is what it says. Jesus went and he lived in Capernaum, which was by the lake in the area of Zebulun and Naphtali. To fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah back in chapter 9 that we just read. The land of Zebulun and land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. This light that Isaiah prophesies 700 years before the birth of Jesus is the light of the world. This is the Messiah. This is that promised Savior, Jesus Christ. Right? This area that was on the front lines of attack over and over and over throughout the centuries is now the first place where Jesus will carry out his ministry. 
where Jesus will come, as it said in our gospel lesson, to preach and to teach and proclaim, repent, the kingdom of God has come near, who would come to do his miracles. And exactly what Isaiah promised would come to pass. Light into darkness. Hope for the people who heard this message, that God had not forgotten about them, that God really did love them, that God had not forgotten that promise that he made through those Old Testament prophets to send that light into this world. Right? Those people in that land, in that area of Galilee, and Naphtali and Zebulun, heard Jesus preach and teach, and they received joy. Joy where there was gloom and despair because they knew that God had come to save them. That God himself had come into this world to make things right with them, not by what they do, but by what this Messiah was promised to come and to do. These people who heard Jesus preach and teach were filled with peace as they knew that God loved them and that they were right with their Heavenly Father that he had come to do all things for them. Right? A promise made, a promise kept. See, God works in unlikely places, doesn't he? In Zebulun, in Naphtali, in hopelessness, in despair, in gloom, in pain, in sadness, and brokenness. That, that's where God chooses to do his unlikely work. And that seems odd to us, doesn't it? It, it doesn't seem like that's the way I would do it. <laughs> I would choose differently, God, but, but that's the way he works. Look at how he works through that Savior, through that Messiah, through Jesus. That in his humility, as he lived this earthly life for us, we are promised that we will be honored in the sight of our Heavenly Father as he can present us to him as glorious and radiant and holy in his sight. How in Jesus' loneliness, as he was forsaken by his Heavenly Father, we have the promise that we will never be forsaken by him. That he will never leave us alone. That we are never on our own. That through his pain and sadness and despair as he suffered hell for your sins, you have the promise that you have peace with God. That through his death, on that cross, you have the promise of life. Life right now and life forever. As, as his body hung on that cross in the dark afternoon, and as his lifeless body was placed into that dark tomb, you have the promise that you have the light of life, the light of faith, the light of that eternal light of heaven waiting for you. You see how God works in these unlikely ways. 
that through pain and through sadness and through loss and loneliness and brokenness and despair and gloom, he brings joy and peace and hope. God works in unlikely places. But how marvelous it is. How glorious it is to realize it is grace from beginning to end. As God comes and works. God comes and rescues. God comes to save us. Friends, God works in unlikely ways, in unlikely places. And, and he works through unlikely people, too. You know that? In our gospel lesson, you notice who Jesus calls as his first four disciples. He doesn't go to the synagogue. He doesn't go to find the religious elite, those who were well-versed in the Holy Scriptures. He doesn't go into the town and ask around, hey, who are the holiest people here? Right? The, 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 the moral, morally superior people right? that everyone looks up to. He goes to the lake and he finds four fishermen and he says, come follow me. You're not going to fish for men anymore. You're going to fish for people. You're going to be my disciples. And these men more than likely weren't very well versed in the scriptures. Uh, you, you think of some of their questions and some of their thoughts and ideas later on, and you think, wow, you guys really don't know a lot, do you? Uh, these probably weren't the elite and the most moral, upstanding men of their time. But that's the way God works. God chooses to use unlikely people. And that hasn't changed. God still uses unlikely people. Unlikely people like you. And I know your first thought is, but pastor... I don't know all there is to know about God. I, I don't have all the answers. I'm not, you know, trained at a seminary. And, and even more than that, Pastor, most of the time, my life is not the shining example of what it should be as a Christian. You know, last week, Pastor, you talked about how Jesus is that light of the world, and now he says that we are his light to the world. And whew, I look at my life, and there's not a whole lot of light there. Right? Because I struggle. How can I be light to the world when I struggle with, with these problems in my life? When I, when I get down and depressed and, and, and when I struggle with sin? When, when I think about the things that I do and the things that I say and how I hurt other people? That makes you unlikely. That makes you the unlikely people that God wants to use. God wants to use unlikely people like you. And, and as you think about our life in this world, and you think about the struggles that we undergo, and you think about how we live in this sinful, broken world, filled with sinful people, of whom every one of you is part of, you've got to look at these words of Isaiah and say, that sounds pretty awesome, doesn't it? Man, light in darkness... Right? And, and, and this promise that where there's no more despair and no more gloom and no more brokenness and no more loneliness and no more sadness and pain, but joy and peace and hope, wouldn't you love to have that? And that was true. Until this world stops spinning, you live in a sinful world that's broken, 
filled with sinful people like you. And someday, these words will be finally fulfilled where all of this despair and gloom and, and sadness and brokenness and pain will be gone forever in that eternal life of heaven. But for now, this is where you are. And this is what you live in. And at times, I'm sure you get sick of it and cry out, why God? Why does it continue? Right, maybe you feel like those people in that land of Zebulun and Naphtali for so many centuries who were just weighed down, who were hurting, walking in darkness, feeling overwhelmed with pain and sadness and brokenness. I know you've been there. Maybe they're, you're there right now. And I've been there too. And really not that long ago. Uh, there was a time in, in not too long ago when, when I asked God, God, I think this is enough. Uh, when God decided that it, one daughter with some major health complications wasn't enough, now you got two daughters with major health complications. And, and, and I prayed, God, I think that's enough. I think that's about all I can handle. But God said no. And my wife gets cancer. <laughs> and in those times, what happens? We get angry with God. We blame God for our problems. We ask the question, why? I would do things way differently, God. And maybe you've been there too. Or maybe you're there right now. You know, the Apostle Paul was at a place like that in his life. He had what he calls a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment him. And we don't know what it was. Some think it was maybe an illness, a chronic illness or health issue that he was dealing with. Some think maybe it was a sin that he was struggling with in his life. But something, something there that, that was in his life and, and was really, really weighing on him. And he prayed to God. He said, God... Please take this away. Three times he prayed, and he got the same answer three times. No. I'm not going to take it away. But God said to him, instead, I have something better for you. I give you my grace. It's sufficient for you. And I give you my power to endure this thorn in the flesh. Because my power is made perfect in your weakness. And Paul's response? What? Come on, God, I'd rather you just take it away. No, this is what he says. Listen to Paul's response to his answer to that prayer. He says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I'm really strong. Because it's not me, but it's my God, whose grace is sufficient for me. A God whose power is made perfect in my weaknesses. Friends, this is something that the Apostle Paul had to learn. This is something that 
I've had to learn in my life, and, and I'm guessing that maybe you've learned or maybe you're struggling to learn. But just think for a moment. If we could see the struggles of this life and the pain and the sadness and the loneliness and the brokenness that, and the sin that we struggle with, if we look at it all in a different light, that it's not that God is not loving and kind and out of con not having everything under control, but that he allows these things to come in my life so that I, number one, look to him and to despair of myself and rely completely on a loving, gracious, merciful, heavenly Father who promises to care for every one of my needs. That if we look at the struggles and the troubles and the difficulties of this life, in the light of, God does not give these to me just for me. But just like Paul, whose words we read 2,000 years later, they are a light to people around us. That is, people are able to see us endure the struggles and the difficulties of this life with the power of Christ, with the grace of God that is sufficient and more than sufficient, it's our chance to point to him, to speak of a great, wonderful Savior God. And, thirdly, not only do these things make me despair of myself and look to God and give me a chance to point to my gracious God, but all of these struggles, all of this brokenness and sadness and pain that I still got to deal with in this life, it's constant reminders that I'm not yet home. That I don't get too comfortable here. Because God has waiting for me and you a place of perfect peace and perfect joy forever. And friends, if, if you can learn that, if you can come to see all of the things that we go through in this life, all these struggles and all this pain and sadness and difficulties, then you can have peace and joy right now. That this isn't just something you're waiting for, but right now, it's yours. If we see these things in a different light, if we understand how God desires to work through them, through us, in unlikely ways, through unlikely people, people who are broken and hurting, and sometimes have pain and sadness, sometimes feel lonely, but yet through those things to let his grace shine to the world. And maybe you look back, and right now you're feeling kind of guilty because there's been times in your life when you have despaired not of yourself, but despaired of God and thought, God doesn't love me. God doesn't care about me. God, if I was in control, I would have done this way differently. If that's the case, and you look back on your life and it's riddled with those, those thoughts, be at peace. Jesus died for that sin too. Your sins are forgiven. And maybe you're at a place right now in your life where you have been complaining to God and maybe even blaming God and questioning him. And if that's the case, if that's where you are right now, be at peace. Jesus died for that sin too. Your sins are forgiven. But then again, to be renewed. And to see how much your God loves you. And what he's done for you. How he's fulfilled every promise 
through your Savior Jesus who came to live for you and die for you and rise for you and ascend and rules and reigns over all things for you so that he might bring you to himself someday? And to see how God uses your pain and your sadness and your loneliness to look to him, to rely on him, to shine his light to the world around you as you wait for that hope of heaven. Find peace and joy right now as you struggle, as you go through these difficulties. Because God's grace is sufficient for you. His power is perfect in your weaknesses. Friends, God works in unlikely places, doesn't he? In pain and sadness and brokenness and loneliness and tragedy. And he works through unlikely people like you and me. You put those two things together and what do you get? You get Christians who are going to continue to struggle with pain and sadness and sin. But you get Christians who know. Who know the truth that God holds you and loves you and forgives you and promises that he is with you to carry you through until you reach that heavenly home. Friends, it's through you that light shines into the darkness of this world. As God does his surprising, unexpected, unlikely work through unlikely people like you and me. And he gives us the strength and the grace and the mercy to go, to be his light to this dark world. God will grant it. Amen.